park somewhere as we speak. And Jose and I are friends, and he sat down, and he's like, I don't, I just called you Mark. And I was like, yeah, it happens all the time because my last name is Mark's. Um, although it did sting a little bit because Jose and I, because my name is Joe, we literally have the same first name. Uh, I, uh, I do have to tell one story about this. God has seen fit in his infinite wisdom, uh, I think, to keep me, to humble me because I need it, uh, to have people make, uh, call me by the wrong name a lot. Um, a couple years ago, I was speaking at a Young Life camp for a week, which is a great privilege and honor. And we had this great evening with, uh, with, with the kids, and uh, this is, Young Life is with high school kids, so there's all high school kids there. And uh, there's, you know, we go out after the, the evening stuff that we're doing, and, uh, and we, they have ice cream. They're serving us ice cream. Uh, little, just, they give you a little, little plastic bowl of the Sunday, and I just went out to get some ice cream. I wasn't, you know, you, you see kids, and you're kind of saying hello, but basically they're together with their friends and their, their leaders, and I'm kind of there just to get ice cream and, you know, maybe wave and say hello to a couple of folks. And so I come out with one of the guys, uh, we call them in Young Life program directors, but he did like a lot of the music stuff and the skits and everything, and he is a star, uh, and his name's Grady, and uh, Grady comes out, and it's like, uh, you know, if you, like a, uh, a famous person, a celebrity walking out, and they, these people just crowd, crowd around him, and I'm standing there eating my ice cream, and I'm like, that's good, that's good for Grady. Well, one of the kids sees me, and I think he feels bad. <laughs> so he walks over to me, and he puts out his hand just as earnestly this boy does as he can. He goes, seriously, Jeff, life-changing stuff, man. And he shakes and I thought, you know, if it's life-changing stuff, you'd think that you'd get the name right. <laughs> well, uh, about three weeks ago, uh, when I was speaking at camp again, again, an incredible honor, we had some kids from Richmond City, uh, which is part of the region that I work with in Young Life. Uh, and these are, uh, these are kids from, from, you know, some rough neighborhoods and stuff. And I, I know uh, some of the kids who were coming on the trip and definitely got to spend some time with them while we, they were there. Well, my friend Tion, who works directly with the kids, had them make a video about their week at camp. And they were talking about all the great things that, that, that they were able to do together, the way that they were able to share with one another like they never had. Uh, and it's really like you're watching. I'm, kind of, I'm getting kind of tearing up. It's powerful. Um, and, uh, and then this one kid's talking, and he goes, yeah, he goes, and, and, and Mr. Rick is keeping it real. And we're watching the, you know, the thing. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm Mr. Rick, you know. <laughs> so it happens all the time, Jose. Uh, you're in good company. Um, we are going to spend some time uh, this morning in Mark chapter 5. Uh, and you can put up, I don't, the first slide may be up there, not under the monitors, not working this morning. Um, and it is a story of Jesus with an, with an encounter with two people. Uh, and two different opportunities he has to do healings. The picture that you see is from a town called Magdala, which is in Israel. Uh, and uh, my wife and I had the, uh, the great opportunity to go there uh, uh, in April, and, and in March or April, and we were there. And Magdala is where Mary Magdalene is from. Uh, and that is a mosaic picture uh, that I can't, you know, it's one of those things, it's one of those places when you go, you can't do it justice. The picture is enormous, uh, and it is, it is spectacular. We, my wife and I were both transfixed by it. So that's going to be our backdrop. Before we jump into Mark chapter 5, I have to uh, go back a little bit. Uh, go back with me. It's Halloween night, 1986. 
I was a freshman at James Madison University, where my daughter goes now, go Dukes. Uh, and I had a job working in the dishroom because my parents took me to school and they said, they said, uh, get good grades and go get a job right away. Before we went to my dorm room, they took me to the employment office and uh, before we moved in. So I had a job washing dishes. And the dishroom there, the dish machine is probably two, 200, 300 feet long. And you either were on one end loading it or you're on the other end taking clean dishes off. And this night I was taking clean dishes off. Uh, and I'm standing there, I have my little JMU D-Hall hat. If you went to JMU, you know what D-Hall is. It's where we used to eat. It's gone now, which is heartbreaking. Um, but I have my D-Hall hat, my apron, and I wore these two yellow rubber gloves, like, you know, dishwashing gloves. And uh, the stuff's coming through, and uh, my friend TJ looks at me, and he says, Joe, what's wrong? And I, it's real loud, so I can't hear. I'm like, what, what? And he goes, what's wrong? And I said, I don't, what are you talking about? And he's like, your mouth. And so I put my glove up to my mouth, and my mouth is bleeding. And, I, and, I, and it's a lot. I mean, it's kind of gross. And I'm like, it's Halloween. It's kind of creepy. And he thinks I'm playing a joke, you know? And I'm like, there's no joke here. So we figure out that I've got a retainer in my mouth, that a, that a permanent one that a dentist had put in, and somehow it's causing my mouth to bleed. And we can't get it to stop. So they send me to the JMU Health Center, uh, and um, they sit me in there and Again, I have a daughter who's there, so I'm hoping that the medical care is better today than it was then. They lay me in a bed, and I, I was working the night shift, so this is all happening between like 10 p.m. and 7 a.m., and they can't get it to stop. And so what they are doing now is they're using, they have, they're putting tea bags in my mouth to soak up the blood. And it's not like, I'm not in a situation where I'm, it doesn't hurt uh, I, I'm not feeling like weak or, you know, it's like I'm, it's not bleeding enough that I'm feeling depleted, but, you know, there's some concern because at some point this does become problematic. Uh, and so uh, they called a, a doctor to come in first thing in the morning and they called the wrong kind of doctor and I asked Bob for permission uh, to share this, uh, but they called a doctor who works exclusively with women. Uh, and the doctor came in and took one, looked at me and said, I can't help you and backed out and walked down the way. And so they told me, hey, we called the wrong kind of doctor. And uh, so then they decide to uh, try to get me to a dentist. Uh, but they're having a problem getting any dentist to agree to work with me because I guess, you know, they don't want to mess with another dentist's work because of malpractice. So finally they get a children's dentist to examine me and determine what's wrong. So they drive me, I, I drive, they drive me downtown in a JMU police car. My mouth is packed with tea bags. And I walk into this dentist's office, and it's, there's no, like, private room. You know, it's like there's, it's a kid's dentist, okay? So there's, like, ducks on the walls, murals hanging in the air, and there's little chairs, you know, like dentist chairs, but they're smaller. And the dentist comes in, and he's got, like, a picture of an animal on his shirt. And, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, this is going to be awful because I'm going to lay, there's kids everywhere. There's, you know, they're just going to, I'm just going to bleed out all over the place. And they sit me in the chair, and the dentist comes over and looks in my mouth. Now, I'm sure that if you're a doctor, a medical doctor, one of the things they tell you to do is no matter what you see, never act surprised. You know, be like, ah, oh, we see this all the time. You have a lightsaber sticking out of your stomach. They're going to be like, you know what, we see this all the time. We can get you taken care of. I don't think that they do that with dentists. Because <laughs> this guy pulls my mouth open a little bit looks in my mouth and says, and I quote, good golly, Miss Molly. <laughs> now, I remember thinking, 
is that a diagnostic phrase, you know? Is that something they would say? It's like, oh, is that, I have a good golly, Miss Molly, and they know right what to do. And, but I think he just was surprised. And so he kind of shrugs his shoulders and comes back with a pair of pliers, like that are the cutting kind. And I'm thinking, this is, this is how it's going to end for me. You know, this guy's going to, I mean, there's going to be blood everywhere. Kids are going to be crying, holding on to their mother. Many years of counseling required. And he goes in there, and I can hear it clip, clip, you know. And he pulls the retainer out, problem solved. It was incredible. It was just, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a, quite an experience. So I went home with, they gave me more tea bags, thankfully. <laughs> I don't know what they did for tea in the health center that day. Uh, but they sent me home and it healed up. It was just, you know, uh, but it was a problem. I had this bleeding problem. Uh, now, the person we're going to talk about today, and there's two, their problems are much greater than mine. And my little seven or eight hour pro, uh, issue with it is nothing compared to the people in this. We're going to start in Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read verse, at verse 21. Here's what it says. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake... A large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Says So Jesus went with him. Now this, like a lot of the Bible, uh, is very dramatic and intense. Uh, and you have Jesus coming back and there's crowds everywhere, which is the normal thing for Jesus. You know, it's a simple thing to think Jesus is fully God and fully man. Uh, but most places he went, anytime he was a place with any population, there were crowds around him. You know, if you or I walk to the store, we don't have that. He always has that. And then this man comes, Jairus. And he's in the worst position that a parent could be in. His, his daughter is sick, and she's going to die, and he knows it. Now, this is remarkable that Jairus, a leader of the synagogue or a synagogue ruler, would come to Jesus. Here's why. In Mark chapter 3, there's uh, a healing that Jesus does. A man with a withered hand, he heals the man's hand in the synagogue. And the, the religious leaders of whom Jairus would have been in that group, uh, we don't know exactly what role he played, when Jesus healed that man's hand, they determined then that they needed to kill him. And it says that in Mark chapter 3, and you can look it up. So they're planning to kill him, and Jairus is at such a difficult point, maybe he was there right when the healing of the hand happened, that he humbles himself, and he goes to Jesus because he thinks this is the only person that can help my little girl. And I don't care what the other people in the synagogue think. That's a remarkable moment that Jairus would come and do this right after that happened. So it says, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Remember, seven hours for me, 12 years. For some of you, think about something that's been going on in your life for 12 years. Some of you have them, hard things. For some of you, it's a physical ailment. I relate to that. She had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. 
What do we know about this woman? Well, here's a few things. Number one, we know uh, when he talks about an issue of blood or bleeding, it's some kind of menstrual bleeding. That's what's going on with her. And it's been going on for 12 years, uh, and, and they have been unable to stop it. This would have made the woman in their day and age unclean, ceremonial unclean. She would not have been allowed to go to the temple or to the synagogue. And in fact, she wasn't allowed to be around people. She would have had to remove herself from different places, uh, from people when she was unclean. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it would have created issues with her. She probably didn't live with her family anymore. She probably had to go and get her own place. And this, this leads to her effort to get better. You know, it says she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She spent all she had, and yet instead of getting better, she got worse. Now, some of you know what it's like to go. You've got a health ailment. You've gone from doctor to doctor hoping for the right diagnosis to solve the problem, and it costs a lot of money. You know what it's like. It's travel. You're paying money. You're sitting in waiting rooms hoping for good news, and instead, this woman is, is just getting the same thing, and in fact, she's getting worse, and then she maybe hears someone else, some other doctor that has some idea about a cure, and she gets hopeful, and she goes, and she's disappointed again and again and again. Now, for some of you in this room, you'd relate to the health stuff. You've been down that road, and it's a tough road. But for some of you, your health has been good, but there's other things in your life that feel this way. Might be a, a broken relationship that, that you did, that's not gotten on track, and it's been so long, and you have hope that maybe it'll happen, but then each encounter, it seems to get worse. Or maybe you feel trapped in a job or employment situation. And it's been too long. And every effort that you've made to change that is met with a wall, and you feel stuck. Some of you have sat there and you're waiting for tests at the doctor's office, hoping that it'll demonstrate what's wrong, or hoping that it's not something catastrophic. When we go through this today, I'm going to ask you three questions. And this brings us to the first one. What doctors do you go to? When life is not the way you want it to be, where do you go? Ask yourself that question. Be honest. Uh, when I speak to teenagers, I mention things like it's boyfriends and girlfriends or being on a sports team or getting you know, uh, the, the right grades to get into that school. But for us, what doctors do we go to? Maybe it's unhealthy relationships idolizing the success of your own children. For a lot of men in this room, it's doing well in your job. You know, it's like, man, if I could just get noticed and, you know, in my job. Now, a lot of these things are good things. I want my kids to do well. I want to be good at my job. Um, but one of the results of our sin nature is that we take good things and make them into ultimate things. And, they, and we, we put more weight on them than they're designed to carry. And honestly, sometimes these things fall apart on us. What doctors do you go to? Another way to ask this question is, Jesus plus what makes your life whole? If you have the phrase in your mind, oh, if only I had this, if, I, if only I had this, Jesus plus what makes your, your life whole? 
if I only had this job or this relationship or my kid would behave in this certain way, then my life would be whole. What doctors do you go to? Now, I don't want to minimize some of these are really healthy desires. I have friends, uh, a good friend uh, that I've just spent some time with whose son has been in and out of rehab. Uh, and it's been really hard for them. Um, but if we're honest, we can cross the line with stuff like that. And that becomes our God. What doctors do you go to? Now, the lady in the passage, she wanted to get better. That's a, that's a healthy desire, under, certainly an understandable, an understandable desire. But until this day, she had gone and looked in the wrong place. I'll pick it up in verse 27. It says, previously, she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes... I will be healed. A few weeks ago, uh, Bob was talking about the phrase of the, the, that people believed about the Messiah. It said there would be healing in his wings. I don't know if you remember that or not, but Bob talked about that. And what that meant was that uh, and the prayer shawl uh, that Jesus would wear would have had sort of braided ropes at the end of it called tzitzis. And, and when we talk about the healing in his wings, they would try to touch the edge of the prayer shawl on those the the prayer shawl on those ropes, and that's what the woman did, because she thought if I can just touch, you hear the phrase the hem of his garment, you know, but it's those little prayer pieces, and Jesus and she's saying if I can just touch that piece, then I will be made well. That's what she believed. And then it says this a remarkable thing, and I, I want to point out one thing: the woman maybe risked her life to be there. She was not allowed to be in a crowd like this in her, in her unclean state. It says, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Remarkable. You know, so right away, problem solved. You know, and, and it looks like from the passage, what we're going to pick up, she wants to get out of Dodge. She wants kind of a stealth healing. Like, okay, I'm good, I'm out of here. But it says at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now, again, think of a celebrity walking from a building to a limousine, people crowding around, no security guards, just 12 disciples, and people are, are, are all around him, you know, and, and Jesus says, who touched my clothes? The, the, you see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. They're like, Jesus, everybody's touching you. Everyone's trying to grab hold of you. And Jesus is like, no, no, this, this was different. And it actually says, uh, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. The word power in the Greek is dunamis, which is where you and I get our English word dynamite. So if you think of it, I think of like sometimes it's like an electrical power. I think it's like a nine-volt battery. But the reality is it's explosive. Like it is, a, it is big power. It's not just little electrical current power. It's explosive power like dynamite. It says, you see the people crowding against you and you can ask who touched me? It says, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened, 
came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. This woman is really scared. You know, she, she tried to sneak in, get this healing and get out. Uh, and she's afraid. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly if she's afraid she would get in trouble. Um, but it says something I, I love here. It says, trembling with fear, told Jesus the whole truth. Now, this is not a short conversation. Told him the whole truth. I don't think it started with, you know, five minutes before. I think this, this story was probably about the previous 12 years and maybe more than that. And she sat and told Jesus her story, and he listened. Remember the context. He is on his way to heal Jairus' little girl. Jairus is a synagogue leader. He's powerful. He's important. And this lady, on their scale, is nobody. And I'm sure Jairus, and Matt, put yourself in Jairus' shoes. I'm sure he's standing there going, can we move this along? You know, she's better enough. Let's go. And, and I'm sure he's just dying in a pile, thinking about, you know, Jesus, you're wasting your time. Now, I, one thing that I think is, I, I literally just learned this uh, this week, and I've looked at this passage a hundred times. I went to seminary. But, you know, this is one of those collisions of two worlds that you get all the time in the, in the New Testament and the Gospels. You have Jairus, wealthy, elitist. Not, I don't want to say elitist, elite. He's a big deal. He might be a wonderful, humble man, but he has power. He has resources. He has friends. He's well-regarded. And you have this woman who is cast out at this point, unclean. Think about this for a second. Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue, okay? That's his job. He's a leader there. This woman is unclean. She would not be allowed to go in the synagogue to worship God. Jairus, part of his job was to keep people like her out, that's literally what we're talking about here. Jairus might have known exactly who she was. And Jesus stops on his way to heal the important guy's daughter and spends time to listen to the whole story of the unclean woman. It's incredible. What's the lesson there? I think I probably wrote it in here how I want to say it, so I'm going to check. Jesus is for everybody. You think I could remember that? <laughs> no, but, but I mean, really though, I, I think the, image, like, the idea of like, you've got the religious guy with all the religious stuff and the one lady who's not even allowed to approach God and Jesus says, no, no, I'm for her too. And you, buddy, are gonna wait. That's an incredible thing there. Uh, you know, and, and I think sometimes I feel this way. Sometimes I think, Oh, you know, we kind of look at people in church or other believers and say, well, you know, we're up here, and, but, you know, they're, they're, they're coming along. You know, it's the same for everybody. We are literally brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no hierarchy that way. You know, we didn't, we didn't earn the gospel. It's not because of stuff we did, and we don't have any more right to it than anybody else. But this woman who wasn't allowed to go in and worship God now gets a face-to-face, -face, long conversation with God in the flesh. 
And then Jesus says something. Jesus says a lot of stuff that would have been controversial back then, and this is one of those things. It says, she told him the whole truth, and Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. That is packed with meaning. The first thing and the most obvious thing is he calls her daughter. Do you know that is the only time Jesus calls anyone daughter in the New Testament? And, and no, like, like again, by their standards, in their world, she didn't deserve it. She was unclean. They thought back then if something bad happened to you, you know, an illness, it was your fault. You did something. And Jesus, in front of Jairus, his helpers, and all the people who probably knew who she was, says, daughter. That, that would have been controversial for them. But it also conveys, it conveys a lot of things. There's a tenderness to it. There's one person in the world that I call daughter. It's my daughter, Anna. She's uh, out of town right now. But there's a, there's a tenderness to it. There's also, you know what, a position to it. Daughter says, you belong to me. You are mine. You get my inheritance. You know, I, like it's, it's a pretty remarkable thing. Just that one word, daughter. He confers a special status on her. So he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Now, I want to make an important point here. When he says your faith has healed you, uh, I, I don't want to get confused and say, oh, you know, if you have enough faith from whatever disease you have, you can get better. He's not talking about her physical health when he says this. Your faith has healed you. He's talking about something else. We'll get to that in a second. Because we know that Jesus heals people. There's a man in John chapter 5 who's sitting by a pool. Jesus heals him when the guy doesn't, doesn't know who Jesus is. Jesus raises people from the dead. Their faith was of no help. So it isn't the faith that brought the healing. It's not that that he's talking about. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. The way he says that is remarkable. Your faith has healed you. He's talking about her relationship to God, her belief in God. And then he says this really interesting thing. He says, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace is what he says. And then there's a conjunction, and, okay, so he's saying, daughter, you walk out of here today because you are right with me. You can go in peace because your relationship with me, with your God, is right. That's what gives you peace. Not that you're better. Because then he says, oh, and be freed from your suffering. It's a conjunction. It's a remarkable thing. As a matter of fact, when he says, oh, and, and be freed from your suffering, that's the least important thing that happens. Still remarkable. Dynamite power heals her, but it's go in peace because you're right with me. Oh, and be freed from your suffering. Second question for today. Do you realize, I mean really realize that you are a son or daughter of the Most High God today? Let that sink in. Do you realize that you are a son or daughter of the Most High God today? Right here, right now. You know, life can knock you around pretty good. 
when Satan attacks us, he goes after our identity. In Luke chapter 4, when he was tempting Jesus over and over again, he asked one question. Over at the, it, it always started with one phrase, and then there would be a second part, like the temptation. He would say to Jesus, Satan would say, if you are the son of God. Do you think Satan knew who Jesus was? Of course he did. But the temptation is always goes after our identity. He chips away at it, and he says things like, wow, <laughs> you said that? <laughs> you know, you thought that? You did that? You sure you belong to him? You sure? For some of you, you look at what he says to you. Look at what happens in your life. Look at what's happened to you. Sure looks like your God has abandoned you. Abandoned you. Maybe you're not a son of, or daughter of God after all. Are you realizing what is true about you today? Right here, right now. And it's not something, it's not something that we've earned. It's because of the, of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We have no, it isn't, we, this status is a gift from God. We don't earn it. I think some of us are really struggling with this, if we're honest. We're not thinking about it and saying, yeah, this is true about me. But the truth is you're a son a daughter, son or a daughter. You're not a slave to God. Some of us feel like we're slaves. You're not an employee where you have transactions. If you do X, God gives you Y. It's not how it works. You're a son or a daughter. And once you're in, you're in. My, my two sons are here today, uh, and they'll always be my sons, no matter what they do. And you know what? They don't always behave perfectly, okay? But, what, but they're still mine. It doesn't change. Do you realize that you are a son or daughter of the Most High God today? It's the second question. We got one more. So here's where we'll pick it up. Jesus says, go in peace and be freed from your suffering, and then... The bomb goes off. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? I can't imagine being Jairus at that point. Again, you've got power, you've got influence, you've got money, and it, and it didn't help at all. And your little girl's dead. And the one man who could have helped you sat with some nobody and talked to her for a long time. And now the worst has happened. Any parent's nightmare, you will hear this phrase, you know, anytime people go through this, it's the worst thing that can happen. Uh, he's devastated. He's sad. He's angry, I'm sure. He would have thought that Jesus would commit, have committed some kind of healing malpractice it's like, hey, you could have fixed a bleeding lady. Like, hey, first of all, she was good to go. She's fine. You know, you didn't need to talk to her. And, 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 but this was, my daughter has this acute, you know, emergency, and you neglected it. He's also, you know, if you're the disciples, Jesus has blown his chance to kind of win back some of the synagogue rulers and leaders. Remember, this is right after the withered hand, healing the withered hand. Um, he says, to, to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. If I were in Jairus' shoes, I have no idea how I would receive that. Now, the fact is, we, we can talk about this at an intellectual level, but when it's happening to us, it's much tougher. 
Jesus can say, do not be afraid, just, just believe, because Jesus has all the information, and Jairus does not. Uh, when you and I feel like God is delaying some grace or mercy that seems so reasonable in the moment to us, it's because we do not have all the information. I want to be very sensitive when I say this. Uh, I know some people in this room are going through some incredibly hard things. Uh, here is how I respond when I go through some hard things where I feel like, hey, if we would just do this, God, then we would be fine. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase something from uh, a Tim Keller book. I say something like this. Yeah, sure. God, you created the universe. You're an eternal being, being and you know, before time and all that sort of stuff. You made me, knit me together in my mother's womb. But it seems like right now I know better about uh, how my life should be going than you do. And the, the truth is, I don't have all the information. Here is the question, third question, final one. Is God delaying something in your life? Is God delaying something in your life? If, is, are you saying to yourself, man, if I, why, if I could just have this, you know, if I could meet that special someone, you know, and get married, you know, follow Christ together, with a partner, that's what I want. If I could just have this, then that would be it. Again, for my friend, I know one of the things is his son who's struggling. Man, if, if, if he would just be better, if he could just, I, he doesn't need to you know, be a huge success, but if he could just be a functional member of society, is God delaying something in your life? Jesus did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. They knew she was dead. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. There's a lot of places I would like to be uh, in, when I read the New Testament. Uh, the beginning of this part here is not one of them. You're walking in. You're with the mother and father who are seeing their dead little girl, which must have been, for them even to look at her again, would have been just heartbreak upon heartbreak. The three disciples with him are going, well, we blew this one, Jesus. Boss, you know, you know we, we had a shot, you know, and, and I'm sure in their minds there's some, what's, what's this going to mean for us? The second part I would love to be here for or be in this room, it says, Jesus took her by the hand and said to her, little girl, I say to you, get up. Um, what he says uh, he takes her by the hand, and it's a very tender thing that he says. It would be like in our culture, sweetheart, honey, time to wake up, something like that. It's, it's not a, you know, he doesn't command her. He's just sort of, it's sort of a sweet term of endearment that he uses. Little girl, I say to you, get up. And it says, immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. It says she was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Duh. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Incredible. 
uh, Jesus gives this little girl back to her parents. I can't imagine the roller coaster of emotion Jairus has been on with Jesus. Um, but I'm sure at that point he's grateful. Um, in this story, what you get is you get Jesus healing the unclean outcast and the religious leader's daughter. Jesus is for everyone, nationality, I would say religion, he pursues, you know, like all, everybody. Um, but he pursues people, he deals with people in different ways, in the different ways that you and I need to encounter Jesus. Three questions. What doctors are you going to? Number two, do you realize that you are a son or daughter of the Most High God today? And then third, is God delaying something in your life? I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to take up uh, an offering. The offering is for uh, members. If you're a guest here today or visitor, you, you, do not, uh, feel we want, don't, you do not need to be compelled to participate. So let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning, for the gift of your word. Uh, thank you that it is so rich and so full. Uh, we have just uh, pray that you would bless today. Thank you that you're for every one of us in this room. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.